When we think about Jesus' teachings on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, particularly in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9-13, through 13, the passage that is often called the Lord's Prayer or the Prayer of Jesus, we must be careful to remember that Jesus was not providing his disciples with a formula by which they might control or coerce God. Prayer is a gift God has given to his people, but it's not a gift of control. Prayer is a gift of access, of input, perhaps even of influence if God so wills it. But God remains God when we pray. Prayers are not commands or demands. Prayers are always requests, which means in part that God always reserves the right to deny what we have asked. C.S. Lewis in his essay, Work and Prayer, has summarized this reminder well. He wrote this, He, God, gave us small creatures the dignity of being able to contribute to the course of events in two different ways. He made the matter of the universe such that we can, in those limits, do things to it. That is why we can wash our own hands and feed or murder our fellow creatures. Similarly, he made his own plan or plot of history such that it admits a certain amount of free play and can be modified in response to our prayers. A little further in the essay. The kind of causality we exercise by work is, so to speak, divinely guaranteed and therefore ruthless. By it, we are free to do ourselves as much harm as we please. But the kind which we exercise by prayer is not like that. God has left himself a discretionary power. Had he not done so, prayer would be an activity too dangerous for man and woman. And we should have the horrible state of things envisaged by juvenile, enormous prayers which heaven in anger grants. Comes from his essay, Work in Prayer, which can be found in the compilation, God in the Dock. All this is simply to remind us that Jesus was not teaching his disciples how to manipulate or cajole God. Jesus was teaching his disciples how to approach God and submit requests. And so what we often today call the Lord's Prayer or the Prayer of Jesus is a summary pattern of prayer's posture, prayer's proper petitions, and prayer's necessary prerequisites. So we begin with prayer's posture. When one approaches a person in authority, there are often protocols we must learn. I've never met the Queen of England, but I imagine one doesn't just walk up to her, pat her on the shoulder, and say, some kind of weather we're having, isn't it, Your Majesty? Some may recall in the biblical story of Esther that she approached the Persian king Xerxes with great fear, aware that if he did not lower his scepter to her upon her entrance, she would be executed. How are we to approach God when we come to make requests? Jesus taught his disciples, Pray then in this way, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. We notice that for Jesus, the approach to God is corporate, our. We often pray alone, but we never come to God as isolated individuals. The approach is also relational. Jesus taught his disciples, disciples later in Matthew chapter 12, verse 50, For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven... He is my brother and sister and mother. To call God our Father is to assume that we are of those who have been adopted into God's family by faith in Jesus. Additionally, in approaching God, we pray outwards to God who is in the heavens, not inward to a God who is in our hearts. Furthermore, in approaching God, we confess the hallowedness, the blessedness of God, the uniqueness, the distinctiveness, the otherness. To paraphrase the theologian Karl Barth, God is not humanity writ large. God is wholly other. And finally, in approaching God, we approach in submission to his kingdom and his will. 
For Jesus, the posture of prayer is as one who is part of a larger body, who is in relationship with God and therefore properly called a child of God, who speaks to God as one outside of himself or herself, who recognizes the infinite difference between himself or herself and God, and who is in submission to God's will and God's way. If we are to approach God in prayer, then according to Jesus, this is how we are to enter into his courts. After entering, we're next invited to make petitions, but in order to make petitions that are likely to be granted, we must know something of the person we are approaching. What kinds of petitions is God likely to grant? Jesus helps us with these words. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. Now, given the way many of us pray the prayer, perhaps some of this language is unfamiliar. Let me see if I can help. In our congregation, we often pray, forgive us our trespasses. Why do we do that? Well, the Gospel of Luke also includes a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And it's a little different than the teaching in Matthew. This is not surprising since I'm sure Jesus taught on prayer more than once. In Luke's Gospel, Jesus says, Forgive us our sins. You may also notice that in the verses that follow this prayer, Jesus speaks of forgiving trespasses. So those two places are most likely where the word trespasses comes from. However, here in Matthew's Gospel, the word in the prayer itself is debts. Things that we owe to others or that are owed to us. Our congregation also prays, do not lead us into temptation. The original Greek word used here can mean trial, temptation, or testing, depending on the context. The sense of the word is of periods of difficulty and challenge. So the New Revised Standard Version translated it, time of trial. And finally, our congregation prays, deliver us from evil. In the original Greek, the phrase is more literally, deliver us from the evil. And that construction usually has the sense of a particular evil one. Evil, in the Jewish culture of Jesus' day, referred most commonly to things that brought harm. So the sense of this petition is for rescue from anyone who would seek to harm us, whether that's a material uh, person or spiritual. By these petitions, Jesus instructs his disciples about the nature of God and the kinds of requests that God is most likely to hear and to grant. Jesus invites his disciples to ask for daily sustenance, the cancellation of debts, the avoidance of difficult circumstances, and rescue from those who would seek to do us harm. Can we pray for other things? Of course. We're not prohibited from making any request we wish when we pray. The point that Jesus has made is that God has demonstrated throughout scriptural history that he is committed to answering these sorts of requests when his people make them. The basic principle that Jesus is trying to teach us is this. If God has granted a request of a certain sort in the scriptures, then it's safe to assume that he will be willing to entertain similar requests from us. So good, now we know how to pray, right? Well, not quite. One of the petitions Jesus invited us to make came with a condition. Did you notice it? Jesus welcomes us to ask for God to forgive our debts, but only if we have forgiven those who owe debts to us. And in case that prerequisite went by unnoticed, Jesus highlighted it again in verses 14 and 15 when he said, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Some years ago, I was teaching on this passage at a Bible camp, and a gentleman in the congregation helped me to understand what Jesus was revealing here more fully. 
He suggested that when we sin, we accumulate a ledger of debts. When we harm others, we accrue debts which must be repaid to them. When others harm us, they accrue debts which must be repaid to us. And all of us, whether we harm others or ourselves, accrue debts that must ultimately be repaid to God. This gentleman went on to suggest that perhaps God wants the entire ledger. In other words, if we want God to cancel the debts we owe to God and to others, then we must be willing to hand over the debts others owe to us to him as well. God is willing to forgive our debts, but all debts with respect to us must become his. To summarize what Jesus has taught us, for Jesus approaching God to ask him to grant things that he is willing to grant, but would not otherwise have granted, is a high and holy opportunity that comes to us purely by the graciousness of God. Even more, those of us who have put faith in Jesus are welcome to come before God and make these requests. Praise be to God. However, we are not welcome to come to God haphazardly or any way we might wish. In order to approach God, Jesus cautions us to come before him in respectfulness and awe, understanding who God is and what God values. And once we understand that, we also understand that God always remains God when we pray. Prayer is not about control, but about input, and if God so wills, influence. May we always make it clear to God that we know the God to whom we have been invited to pray. Amen.